0: We don't see meteoric used in conjunction with too many other specific words in which it has changed its
1: meaning. In French, the word restore means the same thing in the sense to replace or repair, but it also means something else as a reflexive verb. It means to refresh or to gain nourishment through food, to eat.
2: Coming up on Word Matters, meteors fall, so why are there meteoric rises? And the pair of words restaurant and restaurateur. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Ammon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. An email from a listener called out the common but counterintuitive phrase, meteoric rise. Meteors themselves are not known for their ascensions. Idiom does sometimes fly in the face of experience, though. Ammon and Peter discuss.
0: An anonymous listener emailed recently that it had occurred to them that the often used phrase meteoric rise, as it describes a politician's newfound popularity or perhaps an actor's sudden fame, is curious, to say the least. Meteors, as we know, are asteroids that enter the Earth's atmosphere and never actually rise. They always fall. The letter writer proposes that perhaps it was originally meant as a bit of wit, which I have to say, I think is giving a little too much credit to the early users of Meteoric Rise. My guess, and Peter, you can back me up or disagree with me as you see fit, is that this is just another one of those kind of accidents that come along where we make a mistake and It catches on and we just kind of go with it and it becomes part of the language.
1: I never give it a thought. You know what I think also might be playing here is that there's another quality that meteors have. Meteors fall, but they fall quickly. So there might be something like speedy as a kind of synonym.
0: That's a good point because there's more than one characteristic of a meteor. What I think as well, though, is that this is not a new combination of words. We see meteoric rise going back to the mid-early 19th century. So it's almost 200 years old. The earliest citation that I see is speaking of people who resemble demagogues. They may gain a casual and adventitious projectility, but their meteoric rise will soon and inevitably be succeeded by a decadence which leaves them ever after in gloom and obscurity. Oh, very poetic there. And that's from a newspaper called the Richmond Weekly Palladium in Richmond, Indiana. But this kind of mix up of words of this misuse of words in this specific way is not that unusual. There are other examples. One is a complaint we used to hear was that you cannot climb down a ladder.
1: Oh, right. Because climb. It necessitates ascension. Then you're going up. Absolutely.
0: It's like saying you're rising down the ladder. (laughs) It's seen as a contradiction. And that is probably true in some sense, but we all decided that it's okay. And one of the things that I particularly enjoy about this is that when you see these things, which are in a very technical sense, in a very narrowly defined sense, they are clearly wrong. Yet when you see that we've kind of come to accept them, to insist otherwise starts to seem like it's just ridiculous to be correct. And my favorite one was that until two years ago, the Associated Press style book used to insist that you cannot collide with
1: a parked car. One car that is moving that hits a car that isn't moving.
0: A collision of necessity involves two moving
1: bodies. And so (laughs) it is
0: physically impossible to collide with a parked car. Everybody uses it this way, and that's why they finally change it.
1: They would say that you had to use a verb like struck. Exactly.
0: You can't collide with a fire hydrant unless the fire hydrant is somehow itself moving.
1: I'm just looking at its etymology from Latin. Co, the collide, means together, of course. And ledere means to injure by striking. So it does sort of mean that they're both doing the striking. If the co is the beginning of that word, it means it's something that is shared. Etymologically, I guess Latin does require them both to be moving. <laughs> but that seems right. like an extreme case of etymological fallacy.
0: It does. And I think that something that is slightly different with meteoric rise, which is that it's just become a fixed phrase now. And so now because,
1: it means fast, right?
0: Right. Because you don't see meteoric used in conjunction with too many other specific words in which it has changed its meaning. Maybe meteoric speed or something like mm-hmm. that, but you're entirely right. It's highlighting a perceived characteristic of meteors, which is speed.
1: And I'm trying to think of its opposite number, its antonym. And I think of the word precipitous Because Uh because precipitous means coming down, and so precipitous fall. We also have evidence of the term precipitous rise used in headlines, used in serious writing. And in that case, it also simply means very steep, not so much fast, but steep. It has a slightly different connotation. And yet it similarly, etymologically, would lead you to think it could only go in one direction, and yet the steepness could be in either way. For example, a steep increase in stock prices, that kind of thing.
0: Right. What I think is also interesting, and, and precipitous is an excellent example of this, is that we often take words that are technical or scientific in nature and gently misuse them. And epicenter is another one.
1: Oh, epicenter. Yeah.
0: Right, where the original meaning of the word was the part of the Earth's surface directly above the focus of an earthquake.
1: An earthquake, and then it wasn't it used for atomic bomb blasts? And
0: now the most common use by far is really just center, but kind of like really the center.
1: The like, center of the center. Like the
0: center of the center, yeah. kind of bullseye. And so we now define it in that sentence. We do that not because we're trying to embrace error or condone mistakes, but just because it's achieved sufficiently widespread use. that That is now a meaning.
1: And the thing is, it's almost like the EPA serves as a kind of intensifier. It's more center than the center. And that reminds me of the use of the word penultimate, which sometimes people use the same way. Penultimate is supposed to mean the second to last, but it's fairly commonly heard to mean the best or the very best of the best.
0: The ne plus ultra of ultimates, <laughs> which is one of the things that people thought explained the use of irregardless was that ear was thought to have occurred as an intensifier.
1: It's like the word, like, utmost utmost adds that syllable to the word most, and it means the more most. And so we have this idea in our collective minds that that added syllable adds that emphasis, adds that intensity, adds that structure to the word, whereas etymologically often they actually sort of undermine that exact conclusion.
0: When you look at, at least in English, comparative forms and superlative forms, they tend to come at the end of the word, not the beginning of the word. Like Um, less. Right. Lesser. Greatest. It's not est great. It's not ingrate. But for some reason, you're right, we do think of placing this prefix, this The semantic heft that the word did not previously have.
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing that maybe you're exactly right. Heft, a lack of familiarity, means that it must be more formal or more technical in some way. And so it's just an easy way to make language seem more specific when actually, of course, you might be misusing the term according to traditional use and the dictionary definition for a lot of these. Epicenter is a good example, especially because during the pandemic, it was a term that was used constantly in the news And we had already, of course, included that sense in the dictionary, but only fairly recently.
0: So this is a very simple thing that if you find that you have a word that you always misuse, and we all have these, we all suddenly realize at some point late in life that we've been embarrassing ourselves for the last couple of decades. The very simple way to get around this, which is just convince millions, maybe tens of millions of other people to start using it that way. And then before you know it, it'll be defined in our dictionary.
2: listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be right back with the story of restaurant and restaurateur. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com.
1: I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at NEPM.org.
2: The pair restaurant and restaurateur are close relations that crossed the English Channel from French. In its traditional form, the latter one lacks the N that the former has, which is curious. Peter has an explanation.
1: One of my fascinations is the parallel construction of English, the fact that we have so many words that come from, say, Old English that have synonyms that might have roots in Latin and that they're used slightly differently, they have slightly different registers, but English seems to need both of them. And that also goes, I think, for parts of words, and people don't often think of that. So, for example, we have the English suffix ness, N-E-S-S, that makes a noun out of something. So we say scarceness or absurdness. But we also have the Latin version of that, which is I-T-Y in English, the way we normally spell it. So we have absurdity and scarcity. So in the case of these words, I would understand scarceness. Maybe scarcity is more common. I certainly would understand absurdity, but absurdness I might use in a different construction. It's just interesting that English is flexible enough to bend without breaking when we have these kinds of word parts. This made me think of another set of suffixes that are parallel, that come from two different sources, that mean the same thing, or at least technically mean the same thing. I'm thinking of the ing ending in the present participle of most English verbs, like going or seeing. And those forms often become nouns, which we sometimes call gerunds. But the French form of that present participle is where we get the words that end in A-N-T. And when you think about those words, and I'll give you a few examples, we know them as nouns, but it's kind of fun to think of them as verbs, which is where they started. So think of a word like occupant. That meant occupying, one that is occupying, Hmm. or savant, which is knowing, literally, means knowing. Now we think of it as one who knows. There's a million of these. Tenant is one of these. And in French, tenant, tenir means to hold. So the person holding, a word like remnant, which means remaining. Interesting. Yeah, so we have these A-N-T endings that are parallel to the I-N-G endings. And if you can sort of squint and see the verb through them, you can sort of also see where they come from. That is to say, what verb was borrowed that has become a noun. And one of the more interesting ones that follows this pattern is the word restaurant. So A-N-T, again, and that means it comes from a French verb in its present participle. So when I see the word restaurant, if you click over to thinking in French, because this word is spelled the same way, restaurant, in French it means restoring. And in French, the word restore means the same thing in the sense to sort of replace or repair But it also means something else as a reflexive verb. It means to refresh or to gain nourishment through food, to eat.
2: It says something about the French attitude towards (laughs) restaurants for sure.
1: Well, exactly. So this term originally was a place to restore. It was a place where you go to restore. And there were actually competing forms. There was restaurant, restaurant, and there was also restaurateur, which was the noun form. In other words, restorer, one that restores. Would and they
2: both refer to the And
1: place? they both referred to the place. So the restaurant, which began as a verb, became a noun, un restaurant. And then they would also say, oh, it's a restaurateur. It's a place to go to be restored. <laughs> In other words, one that restores. Kind of like you think of the word like importer or caterer, that kind of thing. So a restorer, one that restores, is just a place to go to eat. And that's where this term came from. Our modern idea of a restaurant is fairly recent, fairly new. It goes back to the 18th century. It's not an ancient, ancient term. But that idea of a place to go to get food comes from the use of these two words. And here's the problem in English is that they entered English together and settled in two different places. Because we do to this day refer to the place you go to as a restaurant, a business where you can buy and eat a meal. But the essential meaning of one who restores, the other form, the restorer, restaurateur, entered English as well, but with the different meaning. That is to say, with the meaning ultimately of the owner or proprietor of a restaurant. The interesting thing is that this happened in the 20th century. Even in Webster's 3rd in 1961, if you looked up the word restaurateur, one of the definitions was restaurant, restaurant.
2: Wow! Yeah,
1: it was used in English this way, but we have sort of lost it. And partly, I think, I'm fascinated by this concept. We lose things when they're completely replaced, when they're eclipsed totally. And so that was a word that was totally eclipsed by its parallel form. Restaurant became the dominant one. And so restorator, like caterer, a place where one goes to be restored, just simply dropped from English.
2: I wonder if also the role of the restaurateur in the society became elevated in some way or more pronounced, and so the necessity of having a particular word to refer to that person, to refer to the proprietor meant that that word just became more specialized. It became yep. its narrower meaning, or one of its meanings became more ossified. Right? Yeah. That It just became the more stable and dominant and now only meaning.
1: Right. It makes sense. And so this is why in English, restaurateur, without an N, is still the correct spelling. And it's a commonly seen misspelling, in fact, because we want to put that N in there. We figure that the person who runs a restaurant must be a restaurateur, but in fact the proper form is restaurateur.
2: Well, well we proper, actually, we, yeah. We do, you're good, we
1: do give a variant spelling. You're
0: getting a little
2: judgmental there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. In our definition, it says, or the head word is restaurateur, without the N, as you say. But we provide the variant, or less commonly, uh-huh. restaurateur. And yeah. we don't actually say that it is disfavored or as a variant. Or
1: And it's the kind of thing that could change over time, clearly, because of the overwhelming dominance of one of these words right. and the influence of the gravitational pull it will have. It's the kind of trap that the language has set that makes English so difficult. Why do we have these two competing forms? The fact is they were parallel forms at one time, and now they're competing forms, and now we have one that we've decided is much more common than the other.
2: Right. And adding an N in for an English speaker who has no familiarity with French, which would be most English speakers, would make perfect sense. It's phonetically... That the word restaurateur would be the term to pair with restaurant. Yep. A restaurant is run by a tour Absolutely.
0: I, I know we're all descriptivists here, and it's kind of required, but it, it warms the cockles of my heart to know that, Peter, you have some <laughs> usages that you might look upon askance.
1: Well, it's one of those things I would notice, let's put it that way. But part of it is that when you trip over this and you learn it, then that's one of those things. That's what makes, I think, a lot of the peeves that people have such a passionate part of their language baggage, their language personality, because They had to go through the work of learning it, and so they're going to teach it to everyone else. In this case, though, restaurateur is found in the New York Times fairly frequently and everywhere else very infrequently. We just say the owner or we might refer to the boss or the cook or the chef. Restaurateur, there is a specialized nature to it, which is what you were getting at, which is that it has this – highly technical ring to it. But if you're not using it that way, if you're just kind of referring to the person who's the owner, I think often we would use a different word.
2: Right. Well, I think also nowadays there is a greater interest in the chef owner, the chef operator of a restaurant. The person who actually owns it is less important culturally than the person who is actually there and responsible for what makes it onto the plate.
1: Exactly. And the personality of the place is from the people who are there. That's a very good point. But it's just one of those interesting things to see in English history. These words that were borrowed from French after the Renaissance in the sixteen, and 1700s and since, they tend to keep their French spellings. And they tend to keep a lot of these weird French conventions such as this one.
2: And that has to do with the fact that French was this kind of elevated language. Yeah. It had a level of respect and also disdain by yep. English speakers. There's this... Complicated relationship with all things French.
1: I think that that's an interesting point and something that I've been thinking about lately, which is why is it that French carries this prestige to English speakers specifically? Because if you master Dutch or if you master Brazilian Portuguese, you've done just the same amount of cultural work. And yet with French and its relationship to English, there's this question of fanciness and prestige. And I think it's deep. I think it runs very, very deep. And I think it has to do with the Norman Conquest, of course, and the fact that these terms for laws and government came from the Norman Conquerors. But then the terms for hierarchies did too. All the ranks of the military, private corporal, sergeant, lieutenant, major, those are all French words. All the words for the aristocracy, squire, baron, duke, marquis those are all French except for the word earl, which was an old English term. But earl, the, the equivalent was count in French. So we still sort of understand it. And so those ideas of authority, those ideas of hierarchy, they were imposed upon us by the French rulers for centuries. And so there is this elevated sense, of course, there's also something else, which is just French cuisine, French couture, you know, these other more modern ideas. But I think that they have been added to these earlier ideas of hierarchy. That's just a theory I have. But I think it runs deep and it goes to those what I call the Ivanhoe examples of things like the names of animals in the barnyard as opposed to the food that's prepared. A pig is English, but pork is French. Cow is English, but beef is French. There's a whole sequence of words like that that show embedded in the language a class or a caste system that one group of people was serving another. I think it's very deep. It's not just because the French culture is peculiar or it's nearby geographically. It's those things too, but I think it's the accumulation of all of these elements and especially the length of time, the thousand years that it's been going on.
2: Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. In so many cases, the French borrowing that came in the wake of the Norman conquest came to refer to the fancier version of whatever, the word mansion. Mm. The word mansion, it originally could refer to any kind of a dwelling at all.
1: Sure. Basic words like brotherhood and fraternity. You know, mm-hmm. they mean the same thing, and yet there's something, there's a little bit different usage that we would have. And brotherhood, we might take being kind of a little bit more earthy, a little bit more grounded, and fraternity could be something elevated or professional, or even university-oriented, which again is the same kind of hierarchy. So it's just a theory I have, but I think that it runs deep for all of those reasons. A restaurant is a great example that words for cuisine, including the word cuisine itself owe themselves to this period of French borrowings after the Renaissance.
2: I do love this idea that restaurant has at its etymological core this idea of restoration. That's really nice.
1: It's an elegant way of thinking about eating.
2: Let us know what you think about Word Matters. For Amon Shea and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.